What's up, guys? You're listening to Wide Open Radio, the nation's number one motorcycle talk radio show, with your hosts, Courtney Lambert and Dave Withrow. Hear real talk discussions about the latest custom motorcycle news and events. Now grab a drink and have a seat, because we're about to get started. Hey, guys. It's Courtney and my co-host, Dave. How are you? Dave? Dave must not be able to hear us right now. That's a great start. All right, maybe he'll be back in just a minute. Uh, We have a lot to tell you guys about this week. Uh, Dave and I were both busy with two different Biketoberfest events. Uh, The one that I was at was Daytona Biketoberfest, and Dave was out in Cave Creek, Arizona for their Biketoberfest. Each of those events held a Baddest Bagger show, so we're going to tell you about what happened there. We're going to tell you about who won, uh, who brought new bikes out, And uh, we're also going to talk about several different events that are going on across the country, uh, as well as some current news in the motorcycle industry. I believe we have Dave back now. You there? Yeah. Can you hear me this time? I can. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. What I started with was I said we're fighting again. Oh, God. Are we? You know what? I've I've got a new name for you. (laughs) You are the Nancy Drew of social media. (laughs) <laughs> does this have anything to do with what I think it does today? Well, so I put Mela, who's in charge of our social media for Maverick Publishing, and Jesse uh, Brown, our, our Nelson, our number one photographer, on getting our contest up where our readers and listeners get to pick the February cover for American Bagger. Right. So all of a sudden something pops on my phone, and it's from Wide Open Radio with a picture that we have taken at uh, American Bagger with a little American Bagger banner, and it says, vote for Corey Souza. And I yell out my office, and I go, uh, is it up yet? And everybody goes, no, it's not up. We're, we're testing it. And somehow <laughs> you and your detective work got in there and found it and started the contest before the contest officially started. I don't know whether I should just say that I'm that good or apologize to you. I'm really not sure. I did have to. Apologize. I did say to Mela, I said, I said, I hope I didn't steal your thunder. She was like, How did you even do it? I told her I do a whole lot of coke or crack one, but then I had to go back yeah. and take it back. And I was like, You know, I don't really do crack, right? She goes, Yeah, I know. I said, Well, there is a Starbucks right across the street from our shop, though, so that helps. But I was amazed that you got on there so quickly and before anybody else had seen it. So it's going to be an interesting contest and. Uh, Hopefully, people will follow suit and do what you're doing and uh, really ramp this thing up. Yeah, that's all I'm trying to do. You guys got to go on there. It's on American Bagger's uh, Facebook page. Go on there. Check out the – you guys have an album specifically for this cover contest. Um, Go on there. Take a look at the bikes and click like on the one that you like the most. Um, I heard somewhere, I heard a rumor that a like is one vote and a share is two votes. Is that true? You know, if, if my name was Mela, I could tell you that. But since uh, she's the smart one, she's my Nancy Drew of the uh, the interwebs. So uh, we'll just, I'll believe you and say yes, that's correct. Okay. Well, I just heard that from a little bit. Actually, I heard that from Steve Miller. I saw that he wrote that on uh, James Patient's picture. So I assume that if he said it, it was there was probably some truth to it. Well, it's, it's interesting that we have Corey, who's been on a couple times. We have... 
James Patience and the and the bike we picked for James is the soft tail bagger, which we've talked a lot about soft tail baggers on this show. And it's Beautiful the one that bike. his five year old son designed. And we've got Curtis Hoffman, so three of the six builders we've had on the show and I really tried to pick builders that weren't, you know, the the established stars. The, I wanted the guys on the way up, you know, the newer yeah. companies. So I think we got a pretty good uh, cross section. I think we had three Rogue Glides, uh, two Batwing, and then uh, a Rogue King style. So I thought that was a pretty good cross section. Yeah. Cross section of names. So yeah, hopefully everybody will go on there, check it out, and vote. Yep. Um, on American Baggers. Facebook page. You guys got to go on there and check it out. Um, so I want to talk a little bit tonight, Dave, about both the Biketoberfest events that we went to. Uh, I went to Daytona. You went to Cave Creek, Arizona. Did I say Arkansas again earlier? I feel like I did. I don't know what my deal is with that, but um, Arizona. And then I wanted to talk about this just because everybody seems to be talking about it right now. Did you see the video posted on the internet about the bike crash in Texas, the guy that swerved out and hit the guy on the bike? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What do you think about that? Everybody's going crazy over it. You know, having grown up in uh, Southern California and doing a lot of lane splitting, Mm -hmm. and I used to tell people that in the morning when you lane split on the L.A. and Orange County freeways, it was like you took a big shot of coffee. Your adrenaline (laughs) got going. It woke you up instantly. And it was a great way to start the morning, but coming home at night, especially when uh, with daylight savings, when it got darker earlier, nobody wanted to get out of your way. And, and there were so many times when cars were literally swerving at you on purpose. And it wasn't like this where the guy was at speed. You know, you're going 15 miles an hour, 10 miles an hour, and you can get hurt. But to see that, I mean, uh, over getting past, I mean, it's... I hope they throw the book up at this guy. I mean, there's just no excuse for that kind of thing. Yeah, and, you know, I've heard different people's arguments. Yeah, you're not supposed to cross or pass in a double lane or double line uh, part of the road. And, no, you're not supposed to pass two vehicles at once. Like, I get all that. But just because you're in a car doesn't mean that you can just overtake a motorcycle, which obviously you're going to do. A car weighs so much more than a motorcycle not somebody's life. In that case, it was two people's lives because the guy had a passenger on the back. I just think it's crazy. And the sad thing is there's thousands of people out there like that who just have this huge grudge against bikers, it seems like, you know, and, and they see the opportunity to take one out or to put them in their place in their mind, and they don't even think twice about it. Just like the guy said when he got out of the car, the the guy with the GoPro kept saying, do you understand what you did? Like, you just ran them off the road. And the guy's response was, I don't care. He just kept saying, I don't care, I don't care. So I, I don't know. I think it's really sad. I think um, it's something that's pretty common and probably brings to light now that somebody actually videoed it, you know. Well, yeah, I've always thought that, you know, how I think every state does it. Every, does every state have driver's education when you're 15 and you go to the classes and you watch the films and then you you go with the instructor in the car. Does every state do that? I, we didn't have to do that whenever, but that's been 20 years ago, so I don't know. We, we had to do that in California, and I just thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if they just made everybody go through the motorcycle safety course? Even if you never yeah. want to ride a motorcycle, 
just to put people through so they can see that, you know, we can't always stop real easily. And, and boy, when there's oil on the road or it's wet or, you know, that I think there's this misconception that we can stop on a dime and, you know, yeah. go zero to 60 in one second and, and we can get out of all this trouble. And it's, uh, I would love to see just the average person go and, and you know, some 70-year-old guy get on a motorcycle for the first time and say, hey, it's not that easy, is it? You know, yeah. it takes years to get good at it, so. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I that totally thing, agree. That, it's definitely sweeping the country, though. Yeah, yeah, it's been out there nonstop as I was completely controlling my Facebook feed. Um, so I wanted to mention that. Um, I also wanted to mention um, the fact that I got into a wreck in Daytona. You didn't really seem concerned whenever I told you that. Well, You didn't you, think I was serious, did you? <laughs> no, it wasn't... Uh, until I, you know, I got your message back, and then I'm like, I wonder if she's serious. And then I saw Jesse, who you had seen out there, and he goes, Yeah, but she wasn't hurt that bad, but it's still traumatic, huh? Well, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't traumatic. I was lucky. I mean, I got hit by another bike, um, and I was on my ruckus, so I was so low that the guy's tire just hit my bike really hard, but. He was—he wasn't even looking at me, Dave. Like I'm sitting still at a stoplight, and he's making a left-hand turn in front of me. And there's a median to my left, separating my lane and the lane that he's supposed to be turning into. And he just cuts the turn so short and starts coming right at me. And I look up, and he's not even looking at me. He's looking off in the other direction. So he knocked—he knocked me over two lanes. It was—I mean, what well, on a ruckus instead of horn? Do you have a little bell instead of a horn? <laughs> I have a horn. So you're, oh, you have a horn. Okay. I, yeah. you know, I don't know a lot about the ruckus. But, uh, well, you're going to uh, learn a lot question. about them when you come down in January because I'm going to get you on one. Were you wearing a helmet? No, I wasn't wearing a helmet. Nope. You know, it's crazy because the same thing that you always hear, accidents happen within a mile of where you're going or a mile yeah. of home or whatever. I was riding from my hotel, um, which is right there by the Speedway, and I was literally going to the Speedway to my booth, and that's where it happened. So it was kind of crazy. But, yeah, I'm okay, just in case you were wondering. Uh, road rash? Bumps no, none. Would- I, my legs are really bruised up, but that's it. I'm fine. I just figured you're yeah, always so concerned about whether I'm being kidnapped or, like, all these crazy things, and I actually told you I was in an accident, and you, you were like, oh, okay, well, anyway. Well, but the way you told me you were in an accident, it was <laughs> I sent you pictures to post, and then you sent me back, what are these for? And I sent you back, are you on drugs? <laughs> it's the baddest bagger in Cave Creek. And then you said, just kidding, I got in an accident. <laughs> so there was banter going back and forth. It wasn't like I got a phone call going, Dave, I just got an accident. And I'm like, you know. Uh, well, no offense, but you're not the person I would call if I were in a bad accident. <laughs> what, you, what, you're going to call Corey Souza? Well, that's what I did. See? And then he probably got there the next day. He, he actually got there really quick. Corey. He was he was very concerned. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, we'll talk in just a little bit about um, what happened at both Biketoberfest events. Or you want to talk about it now? Oh, I can talk about it now. Yeah. Okay, let's go for it now. 
Now, I, I heard yours was very quiet. I heard there weren't as many vendors as normal, and I heard uh, the people didn't really come until Friday night, that uh, it just didn't seem like a lot was going on, even though the weather was perfect. Who told you that, Tony? You know, I can't give up my sources. <laughs> it, I thought it was busy, and I know that it was the traffic was not as thick up at uh, Ross Myers at Destination, but at the Speedway, it was actually a really good crowd. I mean, our numbers were up, and we had people. It surprised me because Thursday, you know, they moved the location from Midway, and now it's all the way down on the front stretch of the racetrack, almost at the fourth turn instead of the first turn where we used no, almost at the first and turn instead of the fourth turn where we used to be. And, and is um, that permanent? It is permanent, and I'm excited about what they're doing. Um, They're actually building this huge steel structure that they're calling uh, Thunder Alley, Gasoline Alley. I can't remember which one. But um, And if anybody remembers, at the old setup, the way that it used to be set up for Biketoberfest and Bike Week in Daytona, Thunder Alley is where they used to have the food vendors in the middle, but there was no structure separating it from everything else. Now there's this huge structure going in, and uh, the people at the Speedway told me that the plan is to make that a destination location. Like, they're going to have concerts there. Um, They're going to host a couple of bike shows there. And it sounds like it's going to be great. It sounds like it's really going to draw people in. I know it's going to be good for my booth. Um, So, I don't know. We'll see. They they changed it for Biketoberfest. Uh, this year so that people could kind of get used to it and they'll know where to go for bike week next year because you know bike week in daytona next year is the 75th anniversary so they're planning for it to be pretty big now do you see the same excitement with their 75th as there was for sturgis i don't expect it but you know who knows daytona is like more of a regional thing, I think. I don't see a lot of people from the West Coast or uh, the the Northwest coming down to Daytona. Um, you see a lot of East Coasters and a lot of Southeastern people coming to Daytona. Right. So for them, it's kind of a big deal. But Sturgis is like this international destination. Like, you know, whenever we're out there, we see people from Germany whose whole riding group flies over and rents bikes and goes up. And, you know, it's like – that's the ultimate rally to go to. So for that to have the 75th anniversary this year, I think was totally different from what Daytona's 75th anniversary is going to be next year. Do you agree? Well, I, well, you know, growing up in California, I never understood Daytona because I would leave nice weather and fly to Daytona and hopefully it'd be nice and it wouldn't be raining. But when I moved to the Midwest and it's there's snow on the ground in March and you've had a miserable winter and you haven't ridden it in three, four months, and you go to Daytona and you go, oh, it's 86 degrees and everybody's riding, you get it then. And that's why, you know, all those guys from the East Coast go. But, yeah, you know, I I don't talk to a lot of people where they go on my my bucket list for riding is Daytona. Everybody you talk to is Sturgis. We really don't have great riding here in Florida. I'll be the first to admit that. I mean, Coming from the Chattanooga area, we had the Cheryl Skyway and the Dragon's Tail and all that. Like within, you know, that was a day trip. Um, so we had the windy, twisty roads and the mountains and the shade and all that. All we have here in Florida is just flat roads, you know. And it is pretty to ride along the beach and all that, but it's nothing like Sturgis or riding in the mountains anywhere. 
So I, I get that part of it. Well, and I think that reflects on, like, the sport bikes where they went with the, the big 330 tires and the extended swing arms because you're not carving the canyon, so you're having fun and profiling. And I think that's one of the reasons, don't you think, that the big wheel movement is so big down there? You know, the bigger the better because you're not you're, – you're making squares, you know? Yeah, you're, you're not probably making, so. You're making I mean, sharp turns. Yeah, yeah, uh, probably. You know, it's funny – I actually had somebody the other night who's in the motorcycle industry come out and look at one of the bikes that we had at an event, and she said, this is crazy, this big wheel. What's the point of this? Is this a Florida thing? I've never seen this before. And I said, are you sure you're in the motorcycle industry? This is definitely not a Florida <laughs> thing. But maybe maybe it is more prominent here in Florida. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I will tell you, and I've said this before on previous episodes, I don't ever see – 32s just rolling around down here you know and i feel like in arizona or somewhere like that you probably do see them every once in a while i don't ever see them here you know i'm i don't think i've ever seen a boss hoss outside of daytona bike week but if you go to daytona bike week and your perception is wow these boss hoss guys are everywhere you know it's <laughs> yeah. like like when, when you go to an event like myrtle beach i skipped last year but the year before I saw more big dogs down in Myrtle Beach. So if they they picked you up out of France and put you right in Myrtle Beach, you'd go, God, this big dog's more popular than Harley Davidson. So, yeah, they're yeah. just weird. You know, do you remember what was the Springer soft tail that Harley came out with, God, like in 1998? I think the first one was the white with the blue trim, and then the next year yep. it was white with the red. So the first year you went to Daytona and you saw every single one it seemed like they made. The next year, the color changed, and everyone was there again. But they really didn't make that many. But right. you saw them everywhere you looked. So yeah. I think it's the same way with 32s at Daytona. You know, I just came from Phoenix, and I think I saw two or three 32s, and they were, they were in the show. But I didn't see any riding around. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's just not that many of them here yet, I think. But we'll see. Only time will tell. I don't. I don't think people are finished making those um well so let me tell you this um i think we should go ahead and bring paul on i've been telling people all week that we have paul yaffe as our guest tonight i'm pretty excited about it and i don't want to wait anymore so maybe we can talk more about daytona uh and cave creek's biketoberfest and baddest bagger once we get paul on i want to go ahead and bring him on you want to yes perfect okay all right so we're going to do this. Um, Dave, I'm going to let you introduce Paul. Um, you guys have been friends for quite a while, so I think you can probably do a pretty good introduction for him. Uh, you know, one, you're right. I'm, I'm good friends with Paul, good friends with his wife, Susie. Uh, I don't know if you saw the picture that I posted of me and uh, Paul's son, Nash Potatoes, but uh, I, I did. did post that from the event. Uh, when I think of Paul, I always think of cutting edge. I always think of somebody that's, ahead of the curve, you know, when nobody was thinking choppers, he was building choppers. When nobody was mm -hmm. thinking baggers, he was not only building baggers, but he's always had a parts line to go with it. And as somebody that owns a shop and you guys have a shop, when one of Paul's parts comes in, you know it, it fits and you don't have to spend hours getting it to fit. And that's a big thing right. in our industry with a lot, a lot of these companies that are Johnny, come late, please, and copying what's out there. You know, Paul goes through, you know, in some cases, he'll go through years to get 
that part before the public sees it. And having ridden with Paul, you know, everybody always accuses me of riding fast. And uh, <laughs> I was going through a sweeper at close to 100 miles an hour, and he passed me. So uh, he not only builds it, uh, he rides it, and uh, he rides very well. But uh, he's a great guy, and he's a good ambassador for this industry because he does things the right way. So I'm, I'm happy to call him a friend. Awesome. Well, there you go. Paul, are you with us? Yeah, I've, I've got a little tear in my eye. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Go ahead, brother. Thanks for that hug. That was very nice. <laughs> well, we're excited well, to I have you got... on. We've been talking about having you on for a while, and I know Dave finally asked you last week, so um, we're excited about it. So we're going to get well, going. excited to be with you guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to start out, Dave, real quick. Um, if we can just get a little bit of background from you, Paul. Like, where you started out, how you got into the motorcycle industry in the very beginning. Oh, boy. Well, I was uh, born in Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley there, which is kind of a mecca for hot rod culture. And, um, and some people think that that's where all hot rod culture started and came from in the old in the old days, 60s and even 50s, cruising Van Nuys Boulevard and uh, so many so many famous car and designers and all that kind of stuff, Hollywood, all that. That's where I grew up. Um, I, I got into motorcycles early. My dad had bikes and uh, choppers and stuff, and he was a tattooed-up biker-type guy. And um, So the influence was there. And um, I don't think you can grow up in Southern California and not have uh, uh, the custom culture affect you somehow. Um I used to hang around the shops there uh, as I became a teenager and uh, was able to start riding motorcycles. Um, and uh, it was a hobby. You know, customizing bikes became a, <coughs> excuse me, a hobby of mine. And, uh, and after some other endeavors and careers, I just really wanted to pursue motorcycling. So uh, in the late 80s, I moved to Arizona. Um, the Motorcycle Mechanics Institute is here. And I wanted to... Uh, further my formal education in four-stroke engine theory and all things motorcycles um, so I could be a good mechanic. I I had some skills fabricating and designing, but I wasn't a very good mechanic. Um, So I attended the school there for a few years and um, always had intentions of going back to L.A., but I really kind of fell in love with Arizona. and So I opened a shop called American Legend Motorcycle Company in 1991 um, was a little 900 square foot shop, um, and that's where it all started. And here we are. Very cool. So, what was your first motorcycle? Very, very first motorcycle. Yeah, yeah. Um, was a Yamaha 250 Enduro, and it very actually cool. wasn't mine. I uh, borrowed it from my father. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because, Dave, don't you agree, a lot of the people that we have on the show, they started on similar bikes. Yeah, mine was a uh, Yamaha YL1100 uh, twin-cylinder two-stroke. Yeah, the first first bike I actually owned, when I said borrowed, I was kind of being a little loose with that term. I think I was 13, (laughs) 14 when I was borrowing that bike from my dad. Um, (laughs) He didn't know about it. Um, But the first bike I actually was an RD350. It was a little two-stroke Yamaha. It was like a little 
six-speed rocket ship little sport bike. Well, and I remember visiting Paul at American Legend when right across the street or the alley, his neighbor was Titan Motorcycles. Oh, okay. True, true story. You know, he was he uh, yeah, Patrick actually used to be a customer of ours, um, and then him and his father came up with the idea to do the the uh, the Titan type motorcycle. I think they were inspired by I remember, remember Donnie Beitman from Illusion Motorcycles, who I think was kind of the the pioneer of of what I fondly refer to as a transvest bike, uh, <laughs> you know, building a custom bike from a catalog. And uh, Donnie did that for years, and then several. And Titan really turned it into kind of a popular culture almost. And from that came you know, Big Dog and Texas Iron Horse, and then tons of bikes, tons of different companies uh, as you got into the, the late 90s and early 2000s. It's a shame that not not more people remember Donnie Bittman because uh, he was a hell of an engine builder, and he was literally the first guy that I knew of that you could get a titled bike as an illusion and go out there. So yeah, I do remember Donnie fondly. Yeah, he was a he was a visionary, and did didn't he have something to do with the original resurrecting of the Indian brand? Uh, you know, God, I don't know if he did or not. I remember Zhang He, and then. There was a guy after Zanke, and then it went to California Motorcycles, and then it went from there and, and, and got legit and big. and you know. But I, I can't remember if he did or not. Yeah, I almost want to say in the beginning when they first started resurrecting that brand, he was he was a part of it. Uh, somewhere somewhere around the California, when they were using S&S motors, and it was kind of a glorified soft tail with Indian fenders kind of stuff. But. <laughs> Now, when you were well, growing up, Paul, who who was your heroes in the motorcycle industries? The guys that your role models? Uh, first and foremost, Arlen Ness was just my hero. I remember when I first got his, and at this time it was a little eighteen-page catalog of his, and um, I had just graduated from a Sportster to a Softail. I want to say it's nineteen eighty-six was my first Softail. Um, and Arlen had this little catalog. He was still in San Leandro in his little shop. And, uh, I mean, God, he was, he was the man, he was the California craftsman. And then there's guys that people don't know, um, that actually were that I knew in the Valley. Um, a guy named Billy Westbrook, um, who is, I don't know if you know him, Dave, but uh, I mean, an amazing designer craftsman. Um, and all of these builders turned to Billy to fabricate things for him. Um, uh, Grady Pfeiffer was, was working with Billy Westbrook and building amazing, incredible motorcycles. Um, some of the, some of the early hamsters, uh, Donnie, uh, uh, Donnie Smith, Don Hotop, um, Alan Deshaun, uh, uh, you know, so many guys. I used to, when I was 14, 15 years old, I used to ride my skateboard in the San Fernando Valley to the bus stop, I would take a bus over the 405 into Westwood, and they had their bike night there every Monday night at the All-American Burger, uh, and I would go as this kid on a skateboard, and I would see all these motorcycles. They'd all be hanging out, and, you know, I'd tug on Grady's pant leg and ask him <laughs> stuff, and he'd, he'd shoo me away and tell me to, you know, tell, you know, that I was bugging him or whatever. But, I mean, those guys were just the coolest guys in the world to me. Well, you got to remember, Paul. We, grew, you and I, grew up about a half hour apart from each other, and Tony and I, I'm sure, threw you out of the Sagebrush Cantina when we were running security there from '86 till '90. So uh, 
yeah, the Valley guys, I, I knew them all, or knew of them. So, yeah, Billy Westbrook uh, had a hell of a reputation back then because there weren't a lot of guys in the Valley that uh, were nationally known. No, no, these guys were, you know, they all had little shops and they were craftsmen. And, you know, the, the you got to remember, we're, you know, we're, we're coming out of AMF years. Harley's just about done. They're just about to lose their brand and go broke. And then in, you know, 84, there's some glimmer of the family getting back involved and creating the Evo motor and rumors of that. And then 85, you know, they start introducing some Evos, but they're still in old shovelhead frames with four-speed trannies. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, the White Glide was the big popular bike. And, uh, and then they resurrected the FXR uh, and, and introduced the Softail in 86. And, it, you know, along with the Evo motor, it completely you know, relaunched that company, and uh, they created the, the Rub, the Rich Urban Biker, and, you know, money started coming back into it, and people started customizing, and um, that's that's when, you know, everything started to explode. You know what I mean? I was fortunate enough to, to just really be getting my teeth sunk into it then, uh, uh, so I, I got to be a part of it as first as an enthusiast, and then it just totally got under my skin, and you know, I had to I had to build bikes. It's just it was it was there was no question about it. And Paul, you know, your those... style of of bikes that you build has definitely evolved over the years. Um, you built a totally different style of bike in the '90s and most of the 2000s than you do now. So, can you tell the listeners who may not be familiar with your earlier days what style of bike you built back then and how you transitioned into the bikes that you build now? And I, 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 it's funny. I kind of think I built the same style of bike that now that yeah. I did then, just on a different platform. I, I, you know, I think the, the there's just a, a way I see things, and it's definitely you know from a Southern California influence and from, you know, uh, 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 from my 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 peers and my uh, and and my mentors and their their influences on me and, um. You know, we we just have a certain way of doing things. I know that I know that you know you could say, oh well, we were building uh, uh, kind of you know pro street looking bikes at some time, and then we were building yeah. long choppers, and now we're building baggers. So, so the bikes certainly are, have different uses and different names. But but we like to think that that we we like to think that any of those bikes over the years, you can look at them and tell that they're ours. You know, or or and, tell and that we can. have our hand on them. Yeah, that's a good point, and you can. And one thing that I think about whenever I think of the bikes that you've built is not only do they have your style, but they all seem very functional to me, which is something that you don't see with a lot of builders. So I do agree with you there. I, I That was my point, that it's gone from the pro street chopper style to now the, the more of the baggers. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, this, this whole industry, and, and it seems like, like – we go through these phases where we forget that this entire industry is about riding and it's a lifestyle and the lifestyle, my lifestyle, my, my particular love or my little portion of the industry is I love to create crazy looking bikes or, or really sleek, low, powerful bikes or, or whatever turns me on. But the cool part about it is to create something really cool and then ride it across the country. That That's right. the, the hugely satisfying part of it. And I think, that's the type of customer I attract. Isn't is it somebody that so much wants to win a show? And there's you know people love attaboys and they love you know ego stroke and, and that stuff. And everybody loves a, a really cool looking machine. But but you know they, my my customers I guess want to use them. They want to ride them. They want to throw their gal on the back and take them out for 
a, a weekend trip, or, or now with the baggers, they want to you know ride them to Sturgis and back, or be able to do whatever they want. And they still want that. They still want to park their bike in front of the bar or at bike night or whatever, and have everybody crowd around it and you know be super proud of it. But there's there's nothing worse than taking off with some friends on an evening, and the first thing your bike does is break down, uh, which happened <laughs> to me last weekend on the way to bike night. <laughs> my bike broke down, and I got all my friends left me, but. Uh, oh, you know, it does happen, but the, the, the whole point is this camaraderie that you share with your friends that also share the love of custom motorcycling and riding and the lifestyle of it. Right. Well, I, I right. think the other thing, Paul, is when I think of your style, I think of fat proof where five years from now your bikes still look good and timely, and, and your bikes that you built five years ago, if it rolls up, still looks good because you're you're not going – you're not doing a 32 you know, you, you're not doing the crazy stuff. You're doing the clean, rideable stuff. So that's something I've always liked about your stuff. And I think when I look back to soft tails you did 20 years ago, it's the same thing. Yeah, we've always – our customs have always been commissioned. I've always been very lucky uh, and very fortunate to have uh, – to be very busy, to have a lot of people um, seeking out what we do. So even the, the wildest customs that we built or the most famous customs, trend setting, whatever you want to call them, they, they, they were always bikes that were commissioned by somebody. So even though I've had great patrons um, and, and amazing customers that were willing to let me spend more money than they wanted me to and keep their bikes a lot longer than they had ever planned before they got them so I could show them off, those bikes always ended up, they always were going to be somebody's bike, so they always had to be rideable when you know when when my customer takes delivery of it he just wants to fire the thing up and roar it down the road you know so uh, uh you know it's it, we we've i've never i haven't built that many bikes for myself i do build a bike every year and ride it to sturgis i've done that for the past 30 years um and of course that bike gets the ultimate rideability test i've got to jump on it and ride it anywhere between 1500 and 3000 miles so so those bikes are uh, that that ride's incredibly important to me, and I I cherish that trip every year. So nice. You know, I want to bring up something, Dave. The, um, Paul is the third hamster we've had on the show. Is that right? I think the third. Um, so, how long have you been in the hamsters? What's your involvement? What can you tell us about that organization? Um, the hamster organization. You know, when I was when I was growing up. Um, I remember riding to Sturgis um, in the in the God late '80s, and and you know the Hampshires was a smaller group, and they were a bunch of guys. They were just a bunch of guys that loved to build custom bikes, and they all rode them together to Sturgis. They'd all meet in Southern California or somewhere, and they'd plan a ride, and they'd ride to Sturgis and hang out and drink and have a great time. And they always had the coolest bikes, and and and, and I and I always just thought they were amazingly. Uh, uh, incredible guys, and it was guys. Most of it was my heroes. It was Donnie Smith and Dave Perowitz and Arlen Ness and uh, 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 Barry Cooney and Steve Ellington and Ed Kerr and all these guys. These are the guys who founded the Hamsters, and uh, uh, and then and then there was just a bunch. They always just seemed to have the, the coolest stuff. So it was always a treat to see them somewhere. So when I would go to Sturgis, I would try to find out something they were doing. Like they they always had uh, you know some little secret town that they would ride to and have a party and they do burnouts and drag races and so on. And then people would find out about it. And, and, you know, when it start, people would come to watch. And then when that, when people, when too many people showed up, obviously then the law would show up. So 
So then they'd have to go find another secret town, you know, and do something else. And so I, I always tried to kind of stay in the know and, you know, uh, um, and then sooner or later, I, I, I think it was years later, um, it was when I built a bike called Cashmere. I built a bike called Cashmere in 1998. It took me a couple years to build it, but I finished it in 98. And I took it to a show in Del Mar, California, called the Concourse d'Elegance. It was a, a huge win. It was a monster show uh, uh, back then. Um, it was, there was that and the Oakland Roadster show on the West Coast were the two biggest, you know, feathers in your cap. Those were the most people came from all over the world to compete in those shows. And I think it was probably the Rats Hole show on the on the East Coast, Daytona, and that kind of stuff was the big monster win. And, and anyway, so I took this bike to to Del Mar, and I stayed at this hotel called the Stratford. And the next day, I was going to take the, my bike out there and uh, entered in this show. And so I parked it in front of the hotel, and um, I didn't realize that the hamsters were staying there. Uh, and they did a big uh, Del Mar run. And so I, I was at the, at the about 5 in the afternoon on Friday. All of a sudden, all these bikes started showing up at the hotel. And before I knew it, the whole front of the hotel was filled with all these credible bikes. And so I, I think I was napping or something, and I came out, and, and all of these hamsters were crowding around my bike and, I remember Arlen and Corey were like laying on the ground underneath it and looking at stuff underneath it and stuff. And, you know, I came out and I was like, you know, speechless and totally nervous and, you know, around all these people that, that I kind of idolized or, or not even kind of did idolize. And uh, right. they invited me to hang out with them for the weekend. And I took the bike over. To, I rode over with them to the show and put the bike in the show. And they were super cool. I ended up winning the show, which was a you know, huge deal. And, um, and then Grady Pfeiffer, uh, had mentioned it, said, dude, you should come hang out. You should come uh, to Sturgis uh, and hang out with us and, and be part of the hamsters. And, and, you know, so I think that that was <clears throat> 98. So I probably rode with Grady 99 to Sturgis, 2000 to Sturgis. And then sometime, it took me a couple years to get a yellow shirt. So, so I'm right. going to say probably 15 years. I'm not sure exactly what year I got it, but probably 15 years I've been a hamster. Something Very like cool. That, maybe more. Six, so. Very you know, cool. You brought up something. You you brought up something, Paul. I was going to bring up was the o- Oakland Roadster show. Did you win that twice? I'm I'm actually the only person who's ever won the Oakland Roadster show three times consecutively. Oh 98, wow! Ninety eight, ninety nine, and two thousand. And those to me were some of the craziest bikes you ever built. There's certainly there's certainly some of the most iconic. Um, it, the, the all three bikes, Sliver, Cashmere, and Prodigy, they were. They were three bikes that were built on one exercise of st- styling. I had this obsessive style that I wanted to come out with, and, or that I was, and I, and I, there was so much going on in my brain about that style that I couldn't do all of it to one bike. So, so I did cashmere, and when cashmere was done, I still had, oh, you know, I should have raked it more, I should have stretched it more. So I then I did sliver, which was an extension of cashmere. It was the next in that same line of thought, and then I still had a hundred ideas. When that was done, so I did Prodigy, which was the finishing exercise of that style. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think that those bikes changed the style of custom motorcycling. A lot of people think that they were very iconic. Um, you know, that's, those aren't decisions for me to make. I know that Prodigy was my third consecutive win at, in 2000 at the Oak and Roaster Show. Mattel uh, Toys actually made a Hot Wheel of that bike. Um, which was a huge feather in my cap, and 
Mm-hmm. Um, I recently just actually bought that bike back from the, the state oh, of the guy I built it for. He passed away, and I and his wife was kind enough to sell me that prodigy back. I have it here in the showroom. And, um, but that that was a a, a a a huge exercise, like I said, in, in styling. Uh, and those were that was a a, a, a real um, turning point in my career. Um, it's when it's we really started making we we made these chassis and and rolling chassis kits that went along with that look called Streetsters um, that that really kind of emulated the look of that and um, that was a that was a very busy crazy explosive time for my career. What was the uh, the year that that you got rid of American Legends? And it, it was what was the next one? Paul Yaffe Originals was it PYO after that? Yeah, well, when I when I started American Legend Motorcycle Company, I had a couple of customers who each gave me a few bucks to help open a shop, and I, I had this custom that I had built, my first shovel head, and I sold that, and the three of us went and opened American Legend Motorcycle Company, and then I started a, a billet line. Um, I started I started making billet products, um, and they were called Beyond Bolt On. Um, and then I and then I had my name, of course, Paul Yaffe. And so it took me a couple of years to realize that trying to promote American Legend Motorcycle Company as a shop, beyond bolt-on as a billet line, and, and my name, Paul Yaffe, as a builder, it was very difficult for people to associate all three of those things with one company. So American Legend Motorcycle Company as a service shop was very successful. We had tons of bikes coming through there, oil changes, service, bolt-on chrome, paint jobs, you know, that was the kind of stuff people were doing to those bikes at that, at that in, the, in the early 90s, and, um, you know, and then a couple years into that, my partner said, you know, you're doing great, you don't need us, you know, why don't you, we put together a deal, you can buy us out over a couple years, um, and I did, I, I put together a deal, I bought them out, um, and then I ch- when I bought them out, I changed the name of the company to Paul Yaffe Originals. Um, I was inspired. There's a Billy Westbrook, who's probably my my largest inspiration of from design and custom fabrication and stuff. He had a company called Westbrook Originals, um, and uh, I just found out that Corey Saza has Corey Saza Originals. So I'll, I'll take yeah. that as a compliment. <laughs> so, um, but that's where Paul Yaffe Originals came from, uh, uh, from me loving Billy Westbrook and Westbrook Originals and. Uh, I thought that was a great name, and and at the time every, there was so many, there was West Coast Choppers, East Coast Choppers, South Coast Choppers, everything was Choppers. So <laughs> I wanted to stay away from that, and, but we, I think it was actually long before that. But Paul well, Yaffe yeah, Original seemed to be a good name, and it and it promoted everything. So it was the name, it was the company, it was the service shop, it was the billet line. We put it all under that one umbrella in 1994, and then started promoting it as Paul Yaffe yeah, Originals. So. That's 94. Let's jump ahead a little bit to the early 2000s, uh, whenever Discovery Channel Biker Build-Off started. Um, can we talk about that a little bit? I remember two episodes that you did. Did you do more than that or just the two? I did a few. Two episodes were mine, okay. uh, meaning it was competing against somebody else. I also did um, an episode with Don Narakis from Stinger Custom Cycles, who um, everybody calls my sister, um, which for <laughs> For, for all intents and purposes, she is my sister, so uh, not by blood, but uh, we're certainly bonded at the hip. So um, she had a shop. Her and her uh, boyfriend, Butch Mitchell, had a shop called Stinger Cycles. I did a an episode with them. I also helped um, Arlen 
he invited me to come help him with his build-off that he did against Corey, um, which was really fun. He had a bunch of his friends uh, come out and uh, help him. So me getting to go to Arlen's shop and work with Arlen on his custom bike was, you know, like a, a dream come true. I think I was yeah. peeing my entire time I was there. <laughs> so, pretty fun. Now, your first, the first episode that was you building off against somebody else was, um, was that the one with Indian Larry? Yes, it was originally, it was supposed to be Billy Lane uh, for the first okay. couple months where they were putting everything together and doing everything. It was going to be me against Billy Lane. And then we started filming, and about 10 days into filming, they they came, Hugh King, the producer, opened this laptop and showed me this video of Indian Larry talking shit about me. Uh, and he was trying to get me to do the same and and said, guess what, you're not competing against Billy Lane, you're competing against Indian Larry. <laughs> And at the time, I didn't know Indian Larry. I didn't know who he was. I had heard the name, but I didn't know. I didn't know whether he was a stockbroker or a bike builder. I wasn't familiar with right. his body of work. Um, I quickly became very familiar with it. Um, and uh, and then when I got to travel to the to to, the, to New York and ride to Laconia with Larry and his crew, we became just instant best friends. And and you know we were. We were very close till the day he passed. So, what, well, what kind of stuff was he in, saying about you? What's that? What kind of things was he saying about you in the video? Oh, you know, well, you know that the, the part of the show was, uh, you know, the producers would, you know, try to get us riled up a little bit to create this, uh, you know, this a little tension and a little, you know, you know, mono a mono kind of thing. So, um, I'm trying to remember. He said something about. He said something about. Um, my bike's looking like refrigerators or something <laughs> like that. They were big blocks uh, with no form. Um, uh. That my bikes were too clean, that there was no mechanism of the universe on them, <laughs> which, by the way, I still use that term, mechanism of the universe. Whenever uh, whenever, I, whenever something's a little busier than I like it to mm-hmm. be, um, I always just look at my guys and shrug my shoulders and say, oh, it's mechanism of the universe. It's all good. <laughs> what were you gonna say, Dan? I, I remember watching. I, well, I remember watching that episode when Paul goes, "Who's Indian Larry?" And I'm sitting there going, "Exactly, I don't know who this guy is either." And you, you think that we're in the, this industry and we know everybody, and he was just this East Coast. He was like a Billy Westbrook. If if Indian Larry was going against Billy, and he goes, "Who's Billy?" You know, it, it right. just it, it was a regional thing. But uh, yeah, the world got to know him pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. That a, that show period just really blew the custom motorcycle industry up. Oh, it changed everything. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was it was crazy from there on. Definitely. Yeah, it made it made it made kind of uh uh you know, uh I don't even know what to call it, but like uh, uh grassroots celebrities out of all these guys that were grease monkeys and mechanics, you know. Oh yeah. Well, you talk about the fact that you, a custom bike builder, didn't even know who Indian Larry was, but now you look back at any pictures that people have of him, and most of them are of him signing half-naked women's chest. You know what I mean? Like, So people in the motorcycle industry, especially after that show, they knew who all of you guys were, even if they weren't into motorcycles, like you said. And they were like, you guys were all like rock stars going out to the, to the uh, motorcycle rallies and shows and stuff. Everybody knew who you were. Oh, we didn't know how to. We we went. We basically went out on tour and 
and you know, eight or ten of us would be. We were on the Easy Riders tour. You know, I'm looking at a picture. I'm sitting in my showroom and I'm looking at a picture with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven builders who were all biker build off builders were all standing in front of the Easy Riders truck, and we were the the tour that year. We were the the biker build off tour that year. That's all we, we we every weekend we'd be at a different show, signing posters and shaking hands, and you know, none of us knew how to deal with any of that. That was really yeah. that, that was really a, a a twist and something weird. Now your next episode that featured you against another builder was with uh Dave Perowitz, correct? That is correct, yep. Tell us about that one. Um that was a, a great trip too. We we uh, uh I was thrilled to get to uh you know do a build off with one of my uh you know career long heroes. Uh, I mean Dave Perowitz was a iconic builder uh and one of the founding members of the hamsters and and we had a uh, uh we met in Iowa uh and this time I brought a few friends with me and he brought 200 of his closest friends with him. <laughs> it was crazy it was like the Boston mafia uh that he uh, brought with him you know uh, buses and campers and people riding and um and it was a uh, uh, it was a crazy. I think we had a five day or six day trip um, at, that ended in Sturgis, and it was a it was a crazy uh, uh, event. It was a crazy trip. So uh, good times, bad times, tension, all the stuff that makes <laughs> great TV. I guess. So. <laughs> well, speaking of great TV, uh, we've heard from several different builders about behind the scenes at some of these big of some of these big motorcycle TV shows that we see. How much of that is real, and how much of it is the producers and the staff pushing you guys just to make good TV? Well, the Discovery shows were, were, and I didn't really realize how raw they were till mm-hmm. I just did this other show with History. We did the show Biker Battleground, which was a full production, you know, crews and catering wagons out in front of the shop <laughs> and that kind of stuff, but... The, the the Discovery Channel shows were four or five people in our shop, Hugh King, um, another director, um, a cameraman, uh, a couple of extras, and a sound guy. They had a little over-the-shoulder camera with a microphone on the end of it, and they just, we started on day one and we finished on day 30. We, we the, the time that they gave us was really the time that we spent building those bikes. I remember that first Discovery show i grew a beard and a mustache i still have it i grew a beard and a mustache <laughs> coming that show i never had hair on my face uh i still have that mustache and goatee but um i, I didn't leave my shop barely at all for 30 days and wow. um and it was very real and whatever those guys got whatever they got on film is what they made the show out of we never stopped we never said hey stop do that again uh, we never acted anything um we we never did any of that, and and, and we and and the builders never knew what the show was going to look like uh, mm-hmm. until it until it aired. We watched it with you, you know, and and we didn't know if it was going to make us look good or bad or 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 what. We didn't know what was going to end up on the cutting room floor, and it was it was kind of crazy. It was a whirlwind, you know. But that show, the the ten episode series that I just did with history last year, um, again that was reality. They they didn't, we didn't have a script. Uh, but when something happened in the shop, something organic, the director would grab it and then say, okay, stop. 
you know, what's going on? What just happened? And we'd tell him, and then he'd say, okay, let's put a camera here and a camera there and a camera here, and okay, let's make that happen again, and we want to make sure we get every bit of it. And so while, while the content of the show was real and it was reality, nobody was writing, hey, what if, uh, you know, Paul's bike falls off the lift or, you know, whatever that, it wasn't right. anything like that. But But some of the stuff that people watched was it, it happened before but when they actually watch it it was us reenacting something that really did happen so okay and the show that you're and talking about now by us sense in and say god it would be really cool if all of a sudden that exploded <laughs> you know kind of thing you know we brought that show up a couple of times right dave on the show uh we brought it up with um who did we talk about it with last well well with show uh, last week and with Len yeah. uh, Edmondson a couple weeks before yep. that. And yep. they both kind of said the same things, Paul, and you, uh, you may agree or disagree, but they said that, no, actually, they, they had totally different opinions. John said that it did not slow his normal production down, right? Make sure I'm getting this right, Dave. That everything went as normal at his shop and they were able to still function as a business. And Lynn was the one that said it completely shut them down for the entire time of filming, right? Yes, and I would agree yeah. with Len. It, it completely shut us down. We couldn't we couldn't do anything while they were here. Okay. Well, I, 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 I thought it might be Paul so about it. Yeah. I remember talking to Paul about it, and I think he said, Paul, if you were ever to do it again, they'd have to come in in the morning before you opened and come in at the end of the day when you guys are done there. Because it wiped you out for searches that year, didn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was so incredibly intrusive. Once something happened and they wanted to catch it, they they could shut the shop down for a couple three days, and we had to call all of our customers and tell them, hey, you know, there's no way we're gonna get your bikes done. We can't work on anything. They wanted everything to be about these couple of stories. You know, they they showed up at the shop very, um, with a with a very kind of organic, uh, plate. They they really had no idea what they were gonna do or what was gonna happen. They didn't show up with a storyline or. They said, hey, we're just going to start hanging out. Let's see what happens, and this thing's going to evolve with you and us together. And uh, and it did, and, and, you know, my family hated me. Susie says, you know, uh, that I was a completely different person while I was filming it. Uh, uh, you know, they were so glad it was over. Um, I know we were, too. And, w- and when they talked about doing a season two, I was like, no way. There's there's just no way. I, we, we figured it probably cost us half a million dollars in business the time because they were here for almost eight months. Wow. I think I remember Lynn saying that he felt like it cost them about a a million in business. I bet it did. I wouldn't wouldn't surprise it at all. With new product development, my eye was totally taken off the ball. It left us, when the show was over, it left my business in shambles. I mean, it really was. It was was months and months of, you know, nose of the grindstone cranking, trying to catch up and, and, uh, 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 and, and recover. We actually were, were, we actually thought we might go under from it. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, yeah, it was it was a it, it was a scary time. It was really interesting for us watching um to be able to see all of the builders kind of go against each other all at the same time as opposed to Discovery Channel's biker build off where there's two builders matched up together. Um which format did you prefer? Um you know, I think I think I, I when I watched I only watched Biker Battleground. I watched each episode once, um, and usually I was at a, a like a bar with a bunch of people, or you know the, the local bars here in Arizona had viewing parties, and you know we went and watched with a bunch of people, and 
And it seemed like the shows were fun and entertaining and people really dug it. And um, I've, I have them all on DVD or DVR, I should say, at my house, and I've never, I've never watched them again. Um, <laughs> but, but my opinion of it now, and again, it's probably the same because I've never gone back and watched them again. My opinion was I thought they did a good job and, and, and it seemed like everybody loved the show. Obviously, they're, uh, um, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we, we're, we still get slammed with fan people from that. So I, I, um, I guess the shows were popular. I'm on the inside looking out, so I, I don't know for sure. But um, the Discovery Channel shows were, were more raw and real, and um, it was at a time, you know, it was at a different place in my life. It was at a time where, you know, you, you were building to, to, to make a name for yourself. You know, we were, we were young, upcoming builders, and even though people knew us and, and we had had some success, I mean, you know, it felt like it was the beginning of the TV era of the motorcycle industry, so it really felt like, like it was like like it was your your life and career was on the line, um, and I think it was treated. It, I, I know for me, I took it very seriously. I you know, um, when when we did the biker battleground, we were at a different point uh, in our career, and it and it was much more intrusive, and and we really wanted them to focus on the kind of inner workings of our businesses and show people. Um, you know how our businesses really ran, and um, and and they really wanted to focus on these bike builds and these deadlines and dun 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 dun. Is it going to get done? Right. And um, which was you know it was fun. And, and I you know I'll tell you I got to build the SRT um, through that filming, um, which certainly you know uh, uh, again you know we think that's going to be a a game changing motorcycle or or a different a different a very different style uh, of motorcycles that we're still working to launch and turn into a trend and so so i have to be grateful you know that they that they somehow they managed to get me focused enough to create that bike and um and then i was also building a bike called the rubber nucky um during that show and that bike ended up getting backburnered because the srt really took front and center and became what they focused on during the show so you know after they left i guess that was probably the one good thing that they left me with was the nucky was half built and i got to finish that and we unveiled that this year uh, uh, on, a, on a bike ride that we did across the Midwest, and uh, unfortunately the bike didn't make it to Sturgis. The truck it was in broke down, and it ended up sitting on the side of the road rather than getting to Sturgis. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Paul, tell our know, listeners I, about know, the I, I SRT. I, I don't think I would do any TV shows again, to be honest with you. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if I like one or the other. Other better. They certainly were completely unique, different experiences. So, tell but our listeners thing, about the SRT. I got to see you unveil that in Arizona last last year, right? Um, it was, was it last year, last April. Two years, two years ago, I think. Was it two years ago? Um, but tell everybody about this. You say that it's a trend that you're still trying to get out there. Um, it was a really cool concept. So tell people about that bike. What, what we wanted to do is, is the, the, the bagger uh, movement, the bagger trend, um, you know, had gone to 30-inch wheels and was just starting to go to 32-inch wheels, which I heard you guys talking about a little earlier. And we, we thought it was getting ridiculous and out of hand and, and out of the era of rideability, um, mm-hmm. which, which we have strong roots in. And so we wanted to do something different. We wanted to – I love the big wheel trend that we were such a big part of starting – 
Um, and, and so I wanted to do a big wheel, but I wanted to do something that was that was even better, that rode even better than the big wheels that we were doing at the time. So we came up with this idea to do this this big fat tire, and I, I didn't want to do a, like a 16 or an 18, you know, 180 or something. I didn't want it just to be fat. I wanted it to be big diameter because uh, I wanted to. I didn't want to abandon the big wheel trend that we had been, you know, pushing and supporting for so many years. So we found. Uh, an old Avon tire, uh, a 2220 tire, which is the same outer diameter as a 23-inch wheel, uh, but it's also eight inches wide. Uh, and and so we we got a hold of these tires that had been discontinued, and we went to the task of grafting one of these huge tires to the front of a road glide, uh, and that bike eventually became. Uh, the SRT, which we call, we, SRT stands for Steamroller Touring, because the bike <laughs> going down the road with this big fat front tire looks like a steamroller, and uh, the bikes handle incredible. They're hugely fun to ride, um, and since then we've made a bunch of progress in turning it into a trend. We're, we're making a new tire that we'll be releasing in the next couple of months, uh, new front wheels, fenders, and, and we'll have a whole kit, uh, an SRT bolt-on kit. Um, uh, which, uh, you know, uh, we're, we've got a few more bikes we're building with these front tires. The Nucky uh, is one of those with this front tire on a totally different, to- completely the opposite look of the SRT, uh, but it still is an SRT because it still has the steamroller front end on it. So, But uh, we'll, cool. we'll be introducing that hopefully by, by the end of the year. Nice. Um, now, I did have, we had one question from one of our listeners um, they wanted to know: Is this whole feud between you and John real? They said they've seen Absolutely. you and Scope go at it back and forth on TV. John even made some comments whenever he was on the show. So they want to know if it's real. Yeah, um, I, it, it, I would, I'd say it was real. Um, uh, there was a time um, when it was very real. Um, I think when the Biker Battleground series started, it was pretty real um i would say that that show did a world of good for us and our relationship um and um i would think today i could uh, go as far as to call us uh friends nice well and i think john said the same thing as well that he kind of credited the show of, of kind of making you guys friends because spending more time together it, cer- it certainly did i was i was out uh, uh, exercising this morning, and uh, while I was exercising, we were texting back and forth about flamethrower kits for his new Merc. So, you know, so. <laughs> nice. Um, well, I remember. There was one. Dur- Go ahead, Dave. During during the whole Battle Biker Ground uh, promo promo thing, you guys went to where? Like North Carolina for a NASCAR race. You you went somewhere, and I get this text from Paul, and it's Paul, Susie, John, and and Sarah Shope in a private jet. I'm like, you guys got to be kidding me. There's no way you guys are in a jet together. Because you guys went down there and had the time of your life. Yeah, that was actually uh, 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 Pittsburgh. We went for 4th of July to Pittsburgh and did a promotion for the show. Pittsburgh puts on this huge 4th of July celebration, and we got to throw out the first pitch at a Pirates game and uh, oh, cool. try to be, be – uh, we were there with the guys from Crocodile Hunters and – uh, some other History Channel shows, uh, uh, pickers and and whatnot, and so we were really with a bunch of kind of reality, big reality stars, uh, uh, the Pawn Star guys and those guys. So it was fun. It was uh, 
it was yeah they rolled out the red carpet it was certainly a, a great time and we got to take the wives and uh, we all had a really good time very cool um out of both of the shows both of the shows that we've been talking about what do you think was what two builders do you think were the best matchup in in the in the biker in the in the biker build-offs? Yeah, let's say biker build-offs. Which two do you think were the best matchup? Oh God, oh you're really challenging me there. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, I, you know what's popping into my head is some of my favorite guys, guys that I really liked watching. Uh huh. Um. So, you know, I, the first guy that pops into my head is Matt Hotch. Um, yeah. You know, I love watching him build. Um, I have huge respect for his craft uh, and his innovation. And the second guy that's popping into my head is Roger Goldammer. And I think that they did a build-off together. Didn't they do something that ended up on the Salt Flats? Yeah, that they was when... Uh, uh-huh. And Roger won, but Matt had that incredible bike that he just... Uh, same Vincent. type of thing as you, yeah. And the guy from Metalworks bought it back from the estate of, of the guy who originally bought it and stole it. But yeah, remember that Vincent that he built? Beautiful bike. Oh yeah, that thing was amazing. And Roger Goldhammer's he had that single cylinder blown bike that was incredible. And it was it was just you know those the, the engineering uh, between both of those guys I think you know just had me mesmerized. I thought it was incredible. Episode, so that would be my. That's my favorite matchup. I'll go with that. That's my favorite okay. matchup. Goldhammer and Hodge. <laughs> All right. I've, I've got, now, I've got a, a different question for Paul. We we talked about who his influences were. When you look out at the young guns out there today, is there anybody that stands out to you, or or guys that you go, wow, I like what they're doing? You know, I probably have to think about that um, for a little bit. Um. Because what's going through my head right now is bikes, you know, the, the bikes that stick in my mind. Um, oh, God. You know, and you're going to challenge me for some names, too, because there's so many swimming around uh, in my head. Um, well, shit, just look in your backyard. You know, in Phoenix, how many guys are building bikes there? Yeah, believe um, me, I'm, 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 I'm in my head right now. I'm running up and down the aisles of the Baddest Bagger Show. Uh, <laughs> you know, so um, I think uh, uh, I think uh, Chris from Misfit is doing some really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, he has he's making some parts, and um, I think he's doing some really neat bikes. And I think that uh, uh, probably not as many people know his name as I would think. I, I would think he's well known, but for maybe he's not quite as well known as I think. But he certainly should be. He's doing some really cool work. Um, oh God, there's there's a there's a couple guys I'm thinking of doing you know you know bobber metal sculpting hot rod type stuff that are uh, and they're and I'm, I'm what I'm afraid of is I'm afraid I'm going to put the wrong bike with the wrong name. <laughs> We'll go with the past. I'm just going to take it as a huge compliment to our generation that there are so many out there that you're thinking of. I think that's a good sign. Oh my God, there's so many, there's so many incredible up and coming guys. There's still so much passion in 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 all ends of our industry in the bagger movement, in bobbers and choppers. There's still so many guys doing so much cool stuff, and 
and and what I love, I love all these guys that are all these young guys that are building these. They're kind of doing all these retro bikes, and they're riding them with you know sleeping bags on their sissy bars and old seventies <laughs> helmets and uh, and these rat stuff. And I you know I just love all what all these guys are doing. And and what makes me what tickles me the most is when they're on the road. You know we we. Uh, uh, you know, is when they're when I see them on the road riding, or we're on the road to Sturgis, and I bump into them at a gas station, and you know, they pull in on these you know old tiller bars, Springer front end, you know, shovel heads with their front of their frames lifted up eight inches. I just love it. It just it just it just makes me thrilled that people still have passion for everything that was and everything that's gonna be. Very cool. Paul, if you were going to produce your own build-off TV show or motorcycle-related TV show, what would you do differently from the ones that you've been involved in in the past? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that um, there, there, I think there's an incredible amount of uh, several different words, um, sacrifice, obsession, um, passion, um, uh, it's, it, it, I, I don't think people realize how personally wrapped up, you know, builders are in their in their craft, in the products they produce, uh, in their product lines. Um, uh, and I and I I think that I, I think that people would be interested in how in, incredibly difficult it is day in and day out to, to keep a business like this running and compete in the in our industry and, and protect your designs from from predators and, uh, uh, and and try to keep your customers happy and uh, and keep things fresh and new at the same time and, and and be an innovator and have your stuff constantly duplicated. There, I think it's I think it would be an, a very interesting show if someone could really could really show it if someone could really capture it and show it. I think yeah. it would be fascinating. That is seriously the best answer anyone could have given and. <laughs> I, I think that because it is a constant battle trying to keep your customers happy, like you said. And I, I think some of the TV shows that have been out put this perception in people's mind that it, it's a very quick process to build a bike because they see it happen in an hour or whatever on TV, and they, they don't see the problems that you run into and the different things that, that do take so long. Um, we laugh here at the shop because people see their paint come back and they're like, oh, can I come pick my bike up Friday? And we're like, no, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't happen yeah, that way. To... Like, why would you think that it happened, you know? So it, it's awesome to hear you say that, and I do think that would make a great show to show people what really goes on, you know? Like, this is what happens in between what you see on all the other shows. Um, yeah, well, I, am... I mean, it's, you know, and it affects my family, and I have a, I have a ton of dedicated, talented crew members that, that all – come together to make this happen it's not just me by any means uh you know if it wasn't for my 20 something guys i'd be nothing yeah well i'm sure you've had those nights where you've basically slept at your shop and Corey and i laugh because we'll be out to dinner and god forbid somebody tag us at a restaurant on facebook he's automatically getting phone calls like oh you're not at the shop working on my bike so it's almost like you can't even have a life, you know? So it's awesome to hear you say that. I, I think that it would really open people's eyes a little bit if they did see that in a TV show. Yeah, it doesn't. I know, you know, I'm sure people from, you know, that from the outside that see us on TV or see us at a show think that we're, 
you know, rolling in dough and, and <laughs> driving Ferraris and, uh, you know, uh, just everything's a lap of luxury. And, and I, I still uh, come to work every day and crank out till the end of the day. And, uh, you know, balancing work and family is, is still a huge challenge. And, uh, you know, it's just I have a passion for it. I don't know what else I'd do. Plus, plus I'd be scared, actually, if I ever had to go get a real job. <laughs> well, that's the thing, Paul. What are we qualified for? Not much. Yeah, not much. <laughs> well, you know, Paul, it hey, you know like what? you have a really supportive family, and I have to give kudos to Susie because um, it takes a lot to be that person beside the, the man with the shop, you know. And um, I know she's involved in a lot that you do, and it does seem like you keep everything really family-oriented. So I really I like that. Yeah, she's she's uh, she's very tolerant. Is you know when you couldn't think of, of of builders out there right now. Here, there's one in your own shop. Sometimes, Sean Verna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. West Side Crew. That's it. Yeah, Sean. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's been he's been I've been friends with Sean for years, but he recently uh, the past year or so started uh, working with us. Um, he runs uh, uh, a little shop out of his garage, but uh, he loves coming and hanging out with us and uh, seeing what we do, I guess, kind of on the next level or whatever. And uh, he's just an amazing member uh, of, of my crew, and I'm very grateful to have him. So he's actually sitting next to me right now looking at me like, are we going to go riding or what? <laughs> yeah, we're, supposed, we're supposed to be going for a ride to bike night, and uh, he's sitting there looking at me like, can we go? Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, I, Paul, I spent some time with Sean. Go ahead. I spent some time with Sean in Cave Creek, and, and I told him, I said, if I were to have hair, I would want Sean Burnett's hair. Yeah, we all want <laughs> Sean Burnett's hair. <laughs> all right, so, I, I think um, it's time to put Paul on the hot seat. I think it is, too. But first, um, Paul was nice enough to offer an exclusive deal to our listeners, Dave, and I don't think you know about this, but um, I, I recorded a little short um, blurb for it earlier so I wouldn't mess anything up. So I'm going to play that real quick and tell everybody about the offer that Paul is putting out just to our Wide Open Radio listeners and then we'll come back and do the hot seat with Paul, okay? Perfect. All right. Hey guys, Courtney Lambert, host of Wide Open Radio, here to tell you about an exclusive offer for our Wide Open Radio listeners. Now through Friday, October 30th, anyone who calls Polyappy Bagger Nation and orders an original set of monkey bars in any finish or any size is going to get a free pair of Bagger Nation Double Trouble Mirrors. That's a $240 value. Pretty sweet deal. So here's how you're going to do it. Call the shop, ask for Brady or Phil. You can call them at 602-840-4205. 602-840-4205. Talk with Brady or Phil. Tell them you heard about it on Courtney Lambert's Wide Open Radio to qualify for this offer. Again, guys, this only lasts until October 30th, so don't wait. If you've been looking for mirrors or bars, this is the perfect chance to get a great deal courtesy of Paul Yaffe's Bagger Nation. Now let's get back to tonight's episode of Wide Open Radio. So was that's that pretty 70s cool, or 80s, Was that 70s or 80s porn music that you used as your background? You automatically assume everything is porn or hooker related. It, I well, know you, that's totally what it reminded me of. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. <laughs> and, and by the way, I want all the listeners to know that, that it's 
been it's been years. People have been so patient with our company, uh, waiting for us to make monkey bars, not being able to keep up with monkey bars. As as of today, we have every single size, every single color, every single style of monkey bagger bars for all the 13 and earlier baggers in stock. Uh, we Ooh. have some of the 15 and later Rogue Glide bars in stock. We're still trying to catch up with some of the taller sizes and some chrome stuff. But uh, whatever bars you want, they're here. We'll ship them this week. Awesome, awesome. So, uh, Paul, have you ever heard of our hot seat? No, and I'm actually dreading the fact that uh, you guys are going to do this to me. So It's not that bad. <laughs> so um, what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a topic or ask a question, and just the first thing that comes in your mind you're going to spit out real quick, and we'll move to the next thing. It's a quick thing, okay? Okay. <laughs> All right. 23, 26, 30, or 32, what's your preference? 26. All right. What is your go-to 26-inch tire? Shinko. All right. Your ideal vacation spot? Mm, tell you right. All right. What is your favorite bike from another builder? Oh, boy. <laughs> Didn't she say it already with Matt Hotch? I, you know, I, I was just going to say it would have to be Roger or Matt. Yeah, it would have to okay. be one. Of, I don't know if I could actually pick a bike. But, okay. You know, I'll tell you, Dave, you remember remember the California Spider from Mike Maldonado? Yes. That was one of my favorites, too. That's, that bike That bike was amazing. He, he was ahead of his time. Yes, he was. Yeah, that guy was. was yeah, so let's, let's do that. That'll make people go searching for that. I'll say yeah. Mike Maldonado's California Spider. All right. Uh, what is your favorite bike show or event? Oh, Sturgis, for sure. Okay. If Dave and I put together a build-off and you got to pick who you were going to build off against, who would it be? <laughs> God. Was that Sean um, giggling behind you? It would have to be John Shope. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bob would kill me if I didn't. So. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, if you could go either go back in time or work with a new builder, if you could work side-by-side side with another builder, living or dead, who would it be? Wow. You know, I'll tell you, I, I miss the hell out of Indian Larry, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I think I'd have to choose him just because I'd get to spend some more time with him. So. Okay. Good answer. Um, what do you think is the hottest trend in custom baggers right now? Um, it is the SRT front end, and people are anticipating okay. it wildly. Good answer. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite production bike, the model? Um, I'm going to say right now it's a Victory Magnum. Okay. That's for lar- heard for about larger that men, Paul. What's that? They're for larger men. I said they're for one, larger men. It is one comfortable, awesome ride motorcycle, so... Dave thinks the same thing. He talks about it a lot. All right, and then what does Bagger Nation have that other companies don't have? Um, well, customer service, first first and foremost. Okay. Um, uh, a, a, a truly passionate and caring staff. Um, and then you get into uh, our innovative designs, uh, cutting-edge stuff. Usually, usually the first of things that are coming out are coming from us. I know, like, 
the, the half a dozen or dozen new products that we're getting ready to introduce right now are all patented. Uh, mm-hmm. So they're all original, innovative designs. So, um, okay. Yeah. Very and, good. Uh, what, what and about great fit, quality. You know, just just craftsmanship. And right. you you have Phil, you have Phil the working for you too. Or, and of course, I have Filthy, right? Who could who could who could leave out of this? <laughs> Dave, are you as surprised as I am that John didn't call in during this episode? Yeah, yeah, I thought for sure. And, and you know what? Nice things were said about him the whole time. I know. Would have been great for tell him to Paul, call in. Tell Paul real quick about the segment that John thinks we should do just for him. Do you remember that? Of course he thinks you should do something just for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that he, sums it up right there. <laughs> see, you're, you're going to make their relationship go backwards. Come on now. Oh no! I'm no, very, I'm very well aware. He didn't say he wanted well to do it with Paul. He said he wanted to do it with Hensley. Yeah. Oh, he Hensley. Yeah. Yeah, it was going to be where they trash talk. It was just going to be like trash talk with John Shope on White Oak. Yeah, now that would be. I'll tell you, you got to do it with Joey. You got to get Paul Tracy in there, and uh-huh. the three of them would just. My God, it would need to be censored. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Paul, you I don't want you me on that show. I'll be all, I'll be all backpedaling. Yeah. <laughs> I know you guys got to get going. You've got a ride planned. Um, I want to tell everybody real quick. You can check out all of Paul's stuff on BaggerNation.com. Check him out on Facebook, Paul Yaffe's Bagger Nation. You guys have an Instagram also, which is at pybaggernation. Um, and then we'll post all your information on our page again. So if people want to take advantage of that offer, they can. Thank you so much for coming on. Great talk. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. And, and I will tell you, if you want to do a Paul Yaffe show, if you ever uh-huh. want to know the true history of this industry and you want to know who's done what to who and you want to know where all the bodies are buried, that I know. I could write a gossip Ooh. poem like nobody's business. Paul Yaffe but tells you're not, Paul. But you're not going to. We know well, no, you, no, you're no. Not the secrets are to. safe with me. No, I'm not going to, but boy, could I. <laughs> All right, Paul, well, you guys go have a nice ride and be safe. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great one. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you. Talk to you soon, Blake. Bye. All right, Dave. So um, that was cool to finally have Paul on. Yeah, that was good. You know, sometimes it's hardest to ask your closest friends to come on. So you you know what I mean? So it was great that that I finally just said, y'all come and do this with us. Well, speaking of having your closest friends come on, guess who I got to commit? Joey Hensley. No, no, no. no, I'm no. Kidding. <laughs> are, are, are. Where are in gonna... speaking of your best friends would you get that I asked Joey Hensley to come on the show? Um, no, I got a uh, Bobby Seeger of Indian Larry. He committed oh, nice. uh, last weekend, so he's excited about it. He wants to come on, and that'll that'll kind of be a big change-up from what we usually do. Um, it's kind of getting out of the big wheel bagger thing, which we both love, obviously, but, you know, I want to change it up and make sure that we're talking about some different things. And um, he's got a lot going on up there in Brooklyn that that I love. So we'll when, when is their, their annual show? Is that September that they do that big street party? The block party, um, I don't know. I don't remember. I'll have to ask him because um, I'm always out of town, so I've never been able to go up. Uh, he always says that it turns out really well and all that, but I don't remember exactly when it is. 
They get I'll thousands. Tell you this. Yeah, and even though he's a good friend, I was honestly kind of surprised that he committed to coming on the show. He's kind of funny like that. So I'm anxious I thought, to have I, him on. I thought I thought he might not want to come on because you're kind of mean to some of our guests. Because what? Because you're mean to our guests. Oh, no. Are you kidding? If anybody can hold their own against me, it's Bobby. <laughs> Bobby so can probably take... hold his own against anybody. And if he doesn't like it, he'll just hang up on us. <laughs> Are we going to take uh, next week off while I'm in the Caribbean? Oh, well, I guess we're going to have to, huh? I'm doing the high seas rally. I wasn't thinking about that. Hmm. Well, that's up to you. I guess we can't do it with you while you're there, right? You know, I could just record a bunch of things, and then you could just plug it in. Like, I could say, yeah, Courtney, <laughs> you're always so so clever. Or, yeah, Courtney, you're right once again. You just I, I would like love I'm that. There. I would love that. That would work out really well. No, we'll figure something out. I'll, I'll try to have something ready for next week. Um, and I like I like that we were able to do the the offer for our listeners tonight. That was pretty cool. Um, thank you to Shane at Bagger Nation for helping put that together. Um, Shane, poor thing, he called me today, and he just moved over into the marketing director position from sales at Bagger Nation. And he felt so bad because he he felt like he should have started – helping promote the show earlier, and I was like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal, you know. So we set up that whole offer today, and he was a huge help. So big thanks to Shane at Bagger Nation. Um, okay, I got some things we need to talk I was, about. I was just going to say, I was just going to say, make sure tomorrow that we post the offer for Bagger Nation yes. uh, and then get Mayla, and she'll get it out to our people as well. Okay. Mayla's awesome, yeah. I know she'll take care of that. Um some things real quick before we talk about the Baddest Bagger uh, shows that were last weekend. Um, there's a show that I promised someone that I would talk about here in Florida. It's this Sunday, October 25th, 1 to 7, in Pinellas Park. Um, it is a benefit for the Porpoise Club. It looks like that club actually burned down. It's a biker bar, uh, Screw Louie's Porpoise Pub. Uh, it burned down, so they're doing a benefit uh event for it and that's this sunday october 25th i'll post some information about that the other event in largo florida that this same woman sent to me i uh, i don't have enough information on it to talk about um we're having open house this saturday so if anybody's in the tampa bay sarasota area we're having a big open house here at the shop we're going to do a people's choice bike show um we've got a food truck the brewery's coming and bringing a bunch of beer we've got a dj so that's going to be a fun event I'm mad that you're not going to be here, Dave. Um, I know. And then here's something kind of cool. Um, Dave, do you know Gina Woods? I know. The name I know. I'm trying to think of yeah. from where. Well, I don't know if, if Gina knows this, but I'm a big fan of Gina's. I remember way back whenever I first started really getting into the motorcycle industry, um, she did – and still does, a radio show called Open Road Radio. And I used to see Gina out at motorcycle events, and I thought it was so cool because she would set up in different spots with her tent, and they would do their whole radio show there. And that was really inspiring for me. I I remember hearing Gina and and seeing her out, and I thought, wow, that's really cool. I, I would love to do that one day. 
So um, she contacted me this week, and she is kickstarting a new project. Um, they're actually raising funds for it now. They're doing a whole Kickstarter campaign. But it's for a biker energy bar. They do three different products, I believe. There's a biker bar for energy, a fuel bar for meal replacement, a sports bar for electrolyte and enzyme replacement, something like that. Um, but it seems like a really cool pro- product. It's something that's going to be available nationwide in 7-Elevens and uh, dealerships. So I wanted to tell people about that here first so you guys can be looking for it. The name of the product is called um, Fill the Horsepower. So that's something that's biker-related, and it's put out by another person in the motorcycle radio field. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Very cool. Okay. Can we talk about Baddest Bagger now? Yes. Which one? Cave Creek? Let's talk about Cave Creek, yeah. Very well. So... Originally, Paul and Susie Yaffe said, we'll pick you up. And I said, well, I'm going to hit the ground running that Friday, and I'm going to go shoot bikes, so thank you, but somebody's coming to get me. And I land, and the first text I get from Paul is, I hope you land, because they had one of those uh, dust storm warnings. Have you ever seen Ugh. the videos where these dust storms come through the Phoenix Valley? No. You can see you can see them on YouTube. It's the craziest thing you you would think it's the Sahara Desert, and huh. uh, these things come, come through. So I hit the ground. It was uh, it was like 70 degrees, and it was raining. Really? In, in Phoenix, yeah. So I, needless of. to say, I could I couldn't shoot any bikes. And the next day, uh, we got up there, and I guess it had flooded that night with mud, and those guys were there at the roadhouse at 4 in the morning cleaning up the mud. So by the time we got there, everything looked fine. But it was just a relaxing, fun day. I mean, just we had great bikes out there. Paul Tracy won with his uh, race-inspired 32. But you know how a lot of the shows are so cutthroat and everybody's on edge and it's just everybody's pissed off. This was just such a great day. The Roadhouse is a cool place. and We probably had 500 people that came out for the show to watch it, and Cave Creek was full. All the bars were packed. They had a, a bus going back and forth between the hideaway and the roadhouse. And just one of the most enjoyable weekends I've had in the motorcycle industry. And we immediately said, coming back. And what I always look for is when promoters are happy to have you there and grateful. And that goes such a long way. Yeah. And that's the way that Mark Bradshaw and his whole staff treated us. They were just, you know, thank you for coming out. We know you canceled Daytona to be here. And I didn't miss not going to Daytona. You know, it, I'll be there in March, but next year I'll go and do Cave Creek again, and I'll skip uh, Daytona, and I'll send our guys down there. But just a great day. Great bikes, and uh, looking forward to doing it again. Very cool. How? What kind of turnout did you guys have for the show? We had 30-something baggers. So nice. for a first-year show like that, it was, uh, it was a good number. And uh, I think it's definitely something we'll grow. And, you know, Paul was there, and, and, and Nick Trask was there, and Paul Tracy was there. The only one who didn't show up was uh, John Shope, which I don't know really? why he wasn't there. But, uh, yeah, I wanted to shoot that new soft tail uh, FL that he's doing with uh, yeah. Sideshow. And uh, it was raining where John was at, so he didn't leave the house. Huh. Oh, well. Um, well, that's – did you have a pretty good spread between all of the – 
all of the different uh, classes? You know what's weird is we've had this a couple times lately where, you know, the modified class is up to a 23, mm-hmm. and we only had a couple in the modified class. I was wondering was because weird. there seemed to be so many big, big wheelbaggers out in that area. So I remember you telling me in Reno you guys had the same yeah. issue, right? So it seems like they go from the 21, and a lot of people are skipping the 23 and going right to a 26. Hmm. Ambitious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the uh, Daytona show, I think they had about the same amount of bikes show up. It wasn't anything like Bike Week. but um, Or like la- I think last year, Biketoberfest, we had 55. So it wow, definitely, yeah. I think, was down. Yeah, big decrease. Um, old Curtis Hoffman came down. That was a surprise. You know, he he hit me up, and he he, uh, he told me he came down, had to deliver uh, a bike he sold. Yep, he sold a bike to a guy in Louisiana, and somehow in his head coming to Sarasota to see us first and then going to Daytona before he went to Louisiana was on the way. Well, that's, I don't that's know how new that math. Out. Yeah, yeah it's new math of teaching in school these days. <laughs> But I did have a chance to sit down. You know, we hung out a lot, and I had a chance to sit down and talk with him while we were waiting on everybody else to show up for dinner one night. And um, it's kind of cool to hear what he thinks is coming up uh, in the motorcycle industry. And um, I got to see his new or newer, the black and green uh, Road Glide with the 30 and the 124-inch motor with the turbo on it. Um, It's a pretty cool bike. I, I think he put that in the show. Well, I'll tell you, what do you think of this contest, looking at uh, the bikes that we've got in the uh, the cover contest for American Bagger? Having, having our two boys, uh, uh, Curtis and Corey, going head-to-head. I know, I know. Well, you know, Curtis's bike, let me look back, but I think Curtis's bike that's on here is a lay frame. Um, Corey's bike that's in the competition is not a lay frame. Uh, one of the bikes that he debuted that actually took first place in his class at Battis Bagger was a lay frame. Um, the thing, so I don't know, it'll be interesting to see because they're kind of different styles, but kind of done to the same level, don't you think? Well, I think any six could win. You know, the, I yeah. think there's soft tail guys that will see what James did and, and look at James's paint and it, oh, gets, yeah. it gets out the word out there and lets people know that, you know, his five-year-old son designed this and, there's yeah. great stories to all of these. You know, you've got all-star baggers. These guys are from Dallas. They've got a huge following. So it's just kind of exciting to see where this thing's going to go. And yeah. you were the Nancy Drew of the interweb who <laughs> ferreted out the uh, Well, it said, Dave, in my defense, it said that they were posted on October 16th. That's six days ago. No. No, yes, I just came up I'm looking at it right up. now. It says October 16th at 8 p.m. No, no, no. Those <laughs> might have been from the show or something. Because literally, I came back from uh, from Arizona and I said, you know, we haven't done one of these in a couple of years, and let's do it. So yeah. Uh, no, I, I, was I only think back it's cool. There's, you know, last they're time all we, beautiful bikes. Last, last time we did this, uh, a garage built bike one out of Canada. And they took this thing so seriously. Somehow they got the Fox affiliate in Vancouver to come and film their bike. And, like, all of Canada 
got it, got behind this bike and they swept it. So it'll be wow. interesting who and the different ways that you can, you know, promote yourself. Now, how long does this go? How long does everybody have to promote their favorite bike? Uh, it's a couple of weeks. So there's a, there's okay. a date on there. I want to say it's November. Yeah. Don't, I'm not going to take Mayla's thunder, but she, <laughs> I made sure she did post it on there. Okay. Well, we'll have to check it out, and I'll post it for everybody. Um, definitely beautiful bikes, no matter which one wins. It's going to be a great a great chance for them and great for you guys. Um, I was going to say something else, too, before we go. Um so next week you're going to be at the High Seas Rally on the Caribbean somewhere. Um, I'll still be here at home. And then the week after that I have Lone Star Rally. So are you coming out to Lone Star Rally or no? No, I'm going to actually head to SEMA. So I'll be uh, calling in from Vegas. Okay. All right. You're killing me with all the Vegas trips. Yeah, I gotta get believe out there me, I get home from the High Seas Rally, and I'm in the office one day, and I leave the next day for SEMA. So sometimes these trips look good when you pencil them out, and then all of a sudden you're going to the airport going, why did I volunteer for this? Exactly, exactly. Well, um, we would definitely, as always, have a lot of good stuff coming up for our listeners, so I'm excited about that. Um, we'll figure out what we're going to do about next week. I had, let me look at my calendar, I had... Doug Magoon scheduled, but we decided last week that we're going to move Doug to the following week so that you can be with him in Vegas, right? Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know if they let him back in the country from China, so we got to. I haven't heard you know, from him, so he may not. He may not. It wouldn't come surprise back. me. <laughs> After the interesting conversation we had with him on air last week, I can tell he's he's a troublemaker. So. Yeah, we'll I'll, I'll let you know if if uh, he's back in the country or not. <laughs> All right. Well, um, anything else you need to add tonight? No, it was a great show. Love talking to Paul. Uh, yeah. Hopefully we got a lot more listeners, and, and we keep growing this thing. I think we will. I think we will. So uh, we'll catch up with you guys uh, throughout the week. We'll let you know what our plans are for next week. And uh, everybody have a, a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Wide Open Radio. Bye, Dave. Take care.